just got to hang around, Tom. Keep hanging around and see what goes down. But this is the verse that came to mind. And I think it rolls into what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, we're in Acts chapter 17 today. We're continuing this series on Unleashed. Acts is book of the Bible. It's the only history book of the New Testament. And so if you want to start turning there, Acts chapter 17, I'll catch up with you in just a second. Here's the verse that came to mind for me. It says this in John chapter 15. John's one of the gospels uh, that was written. Here's what it says. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. When you produce much fruit, you're my true disciples. That there's something about doing this Christian life, serving other people, loving other people, reaching other people for Jesus Christ, that is incredibly important to God in this Christian life. In fact, so much so so that he says in this passage, you are my true disciples. We use the word true often as an emphasis word. So we say, you are my disciples. No, you are my true disciples. It is an emphatic word that's being used here. This brings great glory to my Father. Maybe that verse just sets the tone for you as we look into it. It certainly did for me as I was studying and trying to write this sermon out that we were going to look at this morning that comes from the book of Acts 17. Let's pray. Father, um, that's my prayer for me personally, Lord. It is that you would use me to bear much fruit. And Lord, I'll be honest, there's times as a pastor and as somebody that likes to talk to people about Jesus, it flows really, really easy. And then there's some other times, Lord, where I am as speechless as anyone to know what to say and how to say it and in what way do you want me to share who you are. And Lord, I just expect that there's others sitting in here today that feel the exact same way uh, as, I, as I feel sometimes. And so, Lord, I want to pray that your word from the book of Acts, chapter 17, this short segment of chapter 17, could hit us in a way that, that maybe we just need to hear, that we could go out this morning and say, I am empowered to share. And now I have maybe some new tools on how to do it, Lord. So share with us and speak to us however you want. But Lord, can I just ask one thing, Lord, that that none of us that say we're believers in here could go out saying, I didn't know that that was important. And so Lord, at least, at very least, would you minister and make that central? We pray in your son's name. Amen. All right, well, we're talking about Acts chapter 17. Chapter 17. So uh, we're going to start in verse 16. So if you're there and you want to flip to verse 16, that's where we're going we're gonna to go. So Paul, he is out on a journey. Remember, Paul, who once was a, a killer, a murderer of Christians, now he became a Christian. That's a significant part to remember when we're talking about Paul. All right? So Paul is out, and he's on these journeys, and he's talking to churches and to some places that didn't have any type of churches established at all. He's just talking to people's pockets of believers. At the same time, he's talking to people who, are, who have never said yes to Jesus or who hadn't really even heard about Jesus Christ yet. So he's going from town to town on these missionary journeys. You may remember when you were in Sunday school, if you remember the timetables, my favorite part was always the map up on the wall that you could look at, and it had all the different colored lines. And I remember, even from the few days, and I mean very few days, that I was in Sunday school classes when I was young, knowing that Paul went on three missionary journeys. Of course, I got to seminary, and they said, no, no, there was a fourth missionary journey, and I just, you know, blew everything out of the water for me. But that's what Paul's doing. He is out sharing with 
people about Jesus Christ. Now, you can imagine, if I sent you out today and said, I want you to just go from town to town, or take away town, say segment of people, different groups of people, and I want you to share Jesus. You can imagine that some people it might be a little bit easier to share than other people. Some people you might have one way of doing it, and another people another way. That's what you get. In fact, when you put all of these passages together, and we've had only had so much time to hit these passages, but if you went and you just looked, Paul, town to town and town, it is really interesting how it plays out and how he speaks. He is just coming off a town that you would call great victory. Just flip your eyes back just before verse 16, and you get this little segment about the, the church in Berea. All right? And the Bereans, it says that they are more noble than anyone else. Why? Because they searched the scriptures to see if what Paul is saying was accurate. So they're hearing Paul's message, and they're like, man, I am really intrigued by this. And they are opening up their scripture, or, or from what their memory, and they are looking through, and they're going, wow. What he says is accurate. This makes sense. And remember, he didn't have the New Testament. He is tracing the Old Testament up to Jesus Christ. And they're like, this makes sense. And many believed. And the brains are called more noble. In fact, often in churches, uh, maybe it's more of a traditional setup now, you will have a class called the Bereans, and it's usually Bible study style class. If you live on the West Coast, you'll know the, the big Christian bookstore realtor is Berean Christian books, and that's kind of how that came. So now he jumps to Athens, this other city. Now, what you need to know about Athens is Athens is the intellectual hub. So whatever you remember from your history books in, in your high school or junior high, it's the same type of thinking in Bible times. This is the intellectual hub. Anyone who's anyone from the philosophy world, they would have taught and spoke in Athens. All these great names that you grew up knowing, Socrates and all of those, they would have taught right here. And so there's that lineage in history when Paul rolls in to Athens. So uh, chapter 17, pick it up in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. Let's pause right there for a second. Notice the very first line. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens. Why is Paul in Athens? It's not to really preach the gospel. He is just waiting. It's a stopover place. In fact, he had got himself in a little bit of trouble in some other places, as seemed to be his custom when he went out and shared about Jesus Christ. And so he was kind of hiding out, if you want to say it, uh, in plain sight. But he's just kind of waiting in this cities because from a religious standpoint, Athens was a pretty safe city. There was a lot of philosophies flying all over the place in Athens. So uh, uh, Paul could go and he could hang out there and, and uh, maybe not get himself in too much trouble while he waited for the others to join him and then they would move on on this missionary journey. But as Paul often does, as he's sitting there, he, he's looking for the opportunity to share about Jesus. So while he's there, he's, he saw that these idols were all over the city. Do you know how many, when it says all over the city, there actually was in Athens? About 2,000. We learned that from Josephus as he writes. In fact, Josephus writes uh, in his writing, he's a Jewish historian, not a Christian, and he writes, he says, there are more idols than there were people in Athens. Now, he's kind of doing a little play on word because there's actually at this time about 5,000 people that lived in Athens, but he's pretty close here. 
That's a ton of idols for such a small town uh, in Athens here. Let's continue on. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. Two different settings, right? It's the Jewish sinner, those who would have grown up with the Old Testament. They would have known about Abraham all the way up. They would have known about the lineage of leading all the way up to the Messiah. So if you have this group that knows about this and they're looking for the Messiah, it would make sense for Paul to go in and start talking to this group. And he does. This is the setting. But he goes further than that. He says that he would go out into the public square. This is now outside the synagogue, outside of the Jewish religious center, and he would share in the public square. I don't know what you think. If you go downtown Greensboro or wherever you go, I don't know what you think about the guys that stand out on the corner and they kind of, um, they're often said to holler and shout. They're not always hollering, but the ones that are preaching and sharing on the street corner, I don't know what you're thinking about those guys. But seemingly, Paul might have been one of those guys. We don't get uh, uh, the words of exactly what his style was when he was out there. Um, But he certainly was out there sharing, and this isn't the first city that we get this. So, as he's doing this, uh, check it out in verse 18. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. So, as he's in the marketplace, he starts to attract a little bit of attention... And being Athens, what it was, being a a philosophy town. Now, I don't know about you, but in college for me, I went to a philosophy class, um, but as soon as I was done with it, because I had to take it, that was it. I had no interest in ever taking a class like this. Again, I basically spent about four and a half months having no idea what I was reading and, and what was going on there. So you may not be drawn to that either, and so Athens, you may, I don't know, maybe this isn't your kind of town. This is Paul's kind of town. When you're one that you want to talk and you want to share about what's, not only what's going on in your life, but what you believe about Jesus Christ and how he can make a difference, uh, this is where Paul wants to be. So he's with these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Now, if you don't know anything about uh, these two groups, uh, the Epicureans, Epicurus, all right, um, this basically, uh, the key to this philosophical stance is happiness, all right? It is wanting to be happy. Anybody like that out there? Yeah, we like to be happy, right? But let's say everything in your life flowed and everything worked off of your ability to be happy. That would kind of be this philosophy. Now, you might think, wow, this is very similar (laughs) to our day and age and how things function in our life. Yes, we just don't put the Epicurean title on it. You would be correct. So, and then we have the Stoic philosophers. Theirs is a bit different, all right? They think that you can move from ignorance to knowledge. That is the whole journey of life, moving from ignorance to knowledge, all right? So, uh, everything that's built around that would be about that progression and that flow, and you are much more enlightened in life if you would have knowledge. I look at that and think, well, I'm not very enlightened. Uh, But that's their flow uh, here. So he gets in this debate with these two different philosophers here, and he's spending this time talking to them. Here's what they have to say about the debate. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? What's this babbler trying to say? Listen, I don't, it doesn't sound like a compliment to me, well, the way it's being read. In fact, here's what they're actually saying. This word babbler, this is what it actually means if you were to break it down uh, in the original language. It is, it is a word that describes birds 
picking up the leftovers. That's what a babbler is. So if you can see, the philosophers, they come out and they speak very eloquently on their philosophies and what they do. And then they go away in the afternoon and they take their, you know, their siesta, their sleep time in the afternoon before they come out later in the day to talk some more. It would be in this afternoon time when those selling food and stuff in the courtyard, they had shut down too while everyone's napping. And the birds now could come when the, when the square is open and they would eat what had ever had been dropped and left in the square. That is the picture of this word babbler. So can you see that they're not giving a lot of credence to what he's saying? All right? It's really insignificant. However, others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Now you might think, well, that's an insult as well, right? But don't go too fast. In fact, this was the open door that got him in to talk to the bigwigs we'll talk about in just a second. Because when it says, he seems to be preaching about some foreign god, how many idols were in the city? 2,000 idols. In fact, we're going to find in just a minute that there was even an idol to an unknown god. The, the philosophers here in Athens, they were trying to cover any philosophy out there, any God out there, we want to make sure we have covered it all. So if you have somebody coming in and now they're preaching about a foreign God, guess what? I want to at least hear about this. At least tell us what's going on. Maybe we have missed something. So that's what happens here because in the next line we find this. Then they took him to the high council of the city. So they took him up to this, this high council, or your translation might say the Areopagus. This is the hub and center of what's going on in this town. Kind of like, look, if you're not smart enough to really sit and debate these things, don't even come up the hill. That, kind of, that was their mentality and their focus. And they brought Paul up the hill. So this wasn't just a he's a babbler type thinking. It was he might have something we need to at least listen to. Come and tell us about this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. Now, it should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. Here's the key. You see, because they wanted to be in the know, we're smart, we're intelligent, we need to be in the know of the latest thing that's going on. Um, I can't even keep up with the latest shoe fashion uh, in the world today, but uh, these people were focused on the new philosophy and ways of thinking, right? And because they wanted to be so up-to-date and they didn't know what Paul was talking about, it earned Paul an opportunity to come in and speak to them. So now Paul is standing in front of them. Look, they don't know about Paul. We know about Paul. We've been following Paul up till now. You stick Paul in this I environment, and I mean, they, they're just going to be ready, ready to go, all right? And so Paul starts in and he gives this speech. I just want to read it, and then we'll go back and we'll break it down a little bit. It says this, so Paul, standing before the council, addressed them as followers, as following, excuse me. Men of Athens, I notice that you are very religious in every way. For I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had the inscription on it to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I am telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and in human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. 
From one man he created all the nations throughout the whole world. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall. He determined their boundaries. His purpose for, for the nations, excuse me, his purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own prophets have said, or poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day of judging the world with justice by the man he was appointed. And he, uh, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. That's Paul's speech. Pretty straightforward speech here about Jesus. Notice, and we'll talk about this in a minute, he never opens up his Bible. He never even speaks from Scripture in this speech. Interesting. We'll come back to that in just a second. So when Paul says, men of Athens, I notice you're very religious. Two words for religious there, all right? There is the word pious, as in a compliment. You know, you are very, you're very religious. You're very pious. This is very important to you. You're very moral. And then there is the word superstitious that is used here as well. Superstitious, as in uh, don't step on a line type of thinking. Which is which? Which is Paul trying to say to them? I think the answer comes right after this when he says, I have been through your town, I've seen your many idols, and I see that you have one that says to an unknown God. Uh, Paul's basically saying, you're, you're pretty superstitious religious people. Just in case you've missed anything, you have one out there. Now, I don't know why they had an unknown God out there. Maybe if a God popped into town one day, they would send their, you know, their, their carver in real quick to put that God's name on there and say, no, we didn't miss you. You're right here. I don't know. But they certainly wanted to cover any philosophy that's out there that they may not be aware of. So what does Paul do? He uses this as the opportunity. He uses this as the open door to share. Paul is really just taking something that was part of their culture, the Athenians' culture, and he uses it as an open door to share Jesus Christ. Like, like I wonder, if I told you today, give me a common uh, example of this happening or how this could happen in your life. I would expect, and smart people like you, like you could come up with some way that you could say, well, you know, I could use this at work, or when, when this person said this, it was an open door to do this. And I would imagine if we started thinking like this, like Paul just did, there probably is an, a number of ways where we can open up the, the door and share about Jesus Christ. That's all he's doing here. He's taking an open door. Listen, the open door wasn't out there in the marketplace. They weren't receiving that uh, that way. But when he stands before him and, and he's able to use this image of the unknown God, the door is wide open. And then he goes on and he starts sharing about this in, this, in the, the speech I just shared. Let's talk about the results. Look in your Bible down at the end, starting uh, in verse 32. Now, you would expect, based on what we've talked about up till now in God's Word in the book of Acts, the church unleashed, right? The church is growing. Uh, we talked uh, before about uh, them going out and like 3,000 being added, and then 5,000 being added. We talked about Peter being persecuted, and then we found the person that was persecuting was dead at the end of the chapter, and the church was growing. 
you would expect some, some exciting things from this speech, right? Verse 32. Then when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. <laughs> That's not always exciting as a preacher. Um, I know for myself, to, to say something and you to laugh at it, unless it was a joke, which you don't often laugh at those, I don't understand. That does, that's not a real good feeling, and that's what Paul gets first from some. For others said, hey, we want to hear more about this later. That was neat. That was intriguing. Uh, why don't you come back another time, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Hey, those are great avenues when people in your life do this, um, but it's not quite what we've seen in the book of Acts up till now. That ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So you would say, compared to other events in the book of Acts, this is kind of a letdown, right? I mean, just a, a few people, a couple people named. Um, Dionysius is named here. And then Damaris. We don't know anything about Damaris. Name doesn't show up again in the Bible. We, we don't know who she is. She's a, a female. Dionysius is a guy. And we do know something about him. This little line, a member of the council. Paul had this audience of philosophy people that love to sit and debate and hear about new philosophies. And one of those off the council, and most likely historians say there's about 30 people on that council, one of those people said, I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to follow Jesus Christ. I'm going to abandon these other philosophies and follow Jesus. That is a significant, significant conversion here. I want to tell you why I like this passage so much, and then I want to kind of put a bow on this and, and give you a little takeaway from it. In this passage, often, I think when we look at the book of Acts and we look at these things and we hear 3,000, 5,000 added, it just kept growing and growing, we forget that it really is ever only about the one. That's what it's always about, reaching the one. That God, when he calls you and me to reach somebody, he just calls us to go reach the one, to love on the one, to share with the one, to you know, give up our time for the one. That's what he's called us to do. And here we get this uh, small group of believers, this one person named that we know a little bit about. Seemingly it was kind of a failure, but is it ever a failure when we share with somebody and they come to know Jesus Christ. It's never a failure. I could tell you, the things I repent about the most are the times when I would speak at youth camps, and at the end of the message, I'd go, I mean, literally, as I said amen to the prayer, I'd go, well, that stunk. Thinking I, I did a terrible job uh, speaking, it was, it was the worst, and I would go away immediately starting to write the next uh, camp or the next thing, even if I didn't have a, a date that I could preach that, because I'm like, I never want that to happen again, right? And then I would find out later, two people became Christians that night, or three people became Christians, or a youth pastor would let me know about someone who recommitted their life. And it's like it puts it completely in a different perspective. This Dionysius is so incredibly important here. Because it's somebody that, that spent their whole life just judging philosophies, and here was one they were willing to surrender their whole life too. And can I tell you that every single person that you encounter at work, in your family, they are Dionysius. That's how you should look at them. That's who they are. 
They've bought into several different philosophies in this world. They're walking down a path that seems good for them and right for them. It might even seem like the latest or the most trustworthy thing to follow. And you have this incredible opportunity to share with them about this philosophy that they could just sink into and they could bring the wholeness of life. And so instead of us looking necessarily at the 3,000, the 5,000, and putting ourselves into that camp, I wonder if it's more effective for us to put ourselves into this passage and to remember the Dionysius, that person in our life. I don't know why Damaris was there. It was mostly a men thing up there. I'm not, not sure why she was there. But it's a small group that came to know Jesus Christ. This week, here's the takeaway is that we have to look for the doors. We have to look for the doors, but we have to respect the doors as well. And when I say that, what I mean is this, is we have to constantly be looking for the opportunity to share about Jesus Christ with people. But we want to respect the door, too. I probably, my friend, I shared with you about at the gym, I probably Monday morning after this encouraging conversation we had Friday, won't walk into the gym like this, with this Bible in the hand, my finger in it with the passage already marked, and open it up and say, all right, buddy, I wanted to share a little bit with you, and then walk him through. I, I probably, that's probably not the right door for him. So I have to respect the door sometimes, too. Respect when that door is closed, when it's not there. But I do know in trusting God, he'll open up something. It might be that door. It might be a window around the side. He'll open up some opportunity. And so I want to encourage you this week. Who's your Dionysius? Who is the person in your life that God has called you to to share with, to talk to, to look for the open door this week? Let me pray with you. Father, thank you uh, for this passage. And Lord, uh, we've talked at this church about growing to 200 with new converts. And Lord, I... When I study church growth and other churches and and church trends across the nation, it's almost impossible, Lord, to go from 160 to 200 on people coming to know you as your Savior. That's, That's just facts and trends. But Father, you are God of the impossible. You are God who says, I I desire people to come to know me. And you are God that has told us, even in a passage in John, that when we bear fruit... In our lives, when we draw people to you, you are pleased. And you call us that emphatic thing, true disciples. Lord, I'd expect out here today, that uh, myself included, that there is a drive within us for God to look at us and say, you are my true disciple. And I don't think it's, Lord, that we don't want to see people come to know you. I think we're just a little nervous about how we are part of that process. And so, Lord, I'm praying that you would send us outward this week, outside of our comfort, uh, outside of maybe what we think our knowledge is. And we would just say, Lord, open up a door. And Lord, as we prayed several weeks ago, as we've been using as a little phrase, Lord, to begin each prayer we make with, Lord, use me to help one more person find their way back to you. So Lord, empower every single person in here. And if you this morning, if you're just one in here where you just said that, well, I've just never seen that as part of my role, I love what Paul did there. And I know there's a Dionysius in my life to go share with 
and talk with when the door opens. I want to pray a special blessing on you and wisdom as you go out. And you are a Paul to somebody in your life and in your sphere of influence. We give that to you all in your son's name. Amen. Well, excellent. Uh, this week, I look